0: Log Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the End Time Tribune, covering breaking news and current events as it pertains to Bible prophecy. In effect, chronicling the coming of Christ the King. Yeah, talk about today before we get started?
1: Um, You know, I I don't really have anything uh, right off the top of my head to bring up, but, you know, I want to, to, you know, just kind of hit on what we talked about the other day, Um, you know, and it it just seems really, it's kind of chilling, you know, the the sign that's happening on September 23rd, uh, mixed with the eclipse that's coming up as well, and just how the general public is handling this. Um, it just seems. It seems like. Uh, I mean, everyone I talked to. There's a lot of people driving to go see this eclipse. Uh, there's schools that are taking uh, trips to go look at this thing. Um, and then you know, there's a lot of chatter and a lot of people um, around the internet talking about uh, what's happening on September 23rd um, as being the exact sign of, of Revelation 12. Um, and so it's just it's just kind of interesting to watch this develop and start to kind of get into the psyche of the people
0: well Clinton what bothers me is I think I have empirically proven uh, that that is the opposite case Uh, and it bothers me that you know I, I had plenty of these programs sent to me and people knew at least knew me enough to give me the minute marker on some of them because there's a couple of them I can't even stand to listen to Okay, I cannot stand the sound of their voice. Um, You know, I was raised listening to real preaching that came from authority that was mingled with the Holy Spirit. So, so stuck in my brain, you know, from my youth has been Brother Marshall. You know, um, God bless him; he's in paradise. So, listening to them, and you was laughing at me the other day because you called me and. I said that I'm only able to listen to about two minutes of this at a time. Two minutes of it, I'll walk away from it for fifteen or twenty, come back and listen because it is so abrasive to my spirit. I can't say it any other way. It's abrasive to my spirit. So I, I did, I, I never did finish it. I left, I listened to up to the fifteen minute mark, and more lies were being talked about. I just couldn't stand it anymore. I had to shut it off, and. I've empirically proven that with all this Greek study, nobody brought up the one word that matters, the crown, the type of crown it is. Um, it's not a Uraya crown, and you can look uh, – Even a ch- I even did do this. Uh, I made up screenshots and showed them to uh, my children, my two youngest. They said the exact same thing. That's an Egypt crown. That's the same crown that's on the finks, daddy. Uh-huh. I showed it to my boys, same thing. showed it to my wife, immediately, same thing out of her mouth. Well, that's an Egypt crown. You can plainly see it that because on this day, when you look at the woman because she lieth upon the ecliptic, well, when you look at it with your physical eyes, it is painstakingly the tell. Of what we would call uh, the king, because everybody attributes uh, Leo to the king. Well, when you put together those stars and then stand her upright so you can plainly look at it, that's a snake coming off the front of a triangulated headdress. It It is a uraeus crown. It is. There is no doubt about it. God said that we were going to see a Stephanos crown. That's a wreath. That's a wreath. And what even bothers me more is what we're getting ready to go through here on August the, the uh, 21st with this uh, great American eclipse. I call it the X-eclipse. Everybody's in 100% agreeance that that's not a good thing, but yet they turn right around and say that comes September. That's a very good thing. So you've stated that now we've got schools, and I take it these schools are going to take field trips for their science to go see this eclipse? Did you did you find this out on the news? Or did you find this out just no, talking I, to people?
1: I had, uh, I had one of my employees tell me that uh, they were talking to uh, someone and they were planning a school field trip to go get closer to the eclipse. I don't know what to make of that.
0: I, I mean, in my mind, it's kind of contradictory. I don't know about yours, but Everybody's on this bandwagon that this eclipse coming up is a bad thing. Yet out of the other side of their mouth, they say that what's happening in September is good. Can you – do you have any ideas on justification for that train of thought? I mean it just doesn't seem logical to me. How about yourself?
1: Well, what what strikes me is it seems like a lot of teachers right now and a lot of um, people that – are trying to put the pieces together are trying to interpret everything for their own means and and what that means is is they're not necessarily using the scripture as their guide to interpret the events or interpret signs they're using the signs to interpret scripture and and that's the wrong way of doing it you know if if you are saying hey you know for instance like some people are saying that the sign that occurs on uh, September 23rd is a sign that the rapture is going to occur well, <laughs> that's fine and dandy, and that sounds wonderful, um, and yeah, I think every single Christian out there would love for that to be the case, but then when you, you know, look upon Scripture itself, you can see that that is probably not the downside of it, and this is the downside that I've had with uh, teaching about the pre-tribulation rapture for a long time, is it's created this this kind of view within the Christian church uh, to where... Everyone thinks that they don't need to pay attention to what's going on. They don't need to work what's going on. They don't need to strive to, to make this world a better place because they're going to be gone. And the problem is is you're putting all of your eggs in one basket, and if for some reason the rapture doesn't happen at that time, then you have basically put everyone in jeopardy, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, everyone in jeopardy because you have taken the stance that you don't have to do anything because you're going to be saved. And and that's one thing that I see with not only the eclipse, but also the sign that occurs on September 23rd is that, yes, it's creating excitement and we should all be excited if these events are exactly what we, some people believe they are. Um, but then we also have to be in, uh, you know, we have to make sure that we're interpreting everything through scripture and not just fitting our own guys uh, and, and what we wanted to, to say. And, I mean, I just, I just really, really have a hard time with this um, because if you, if you look at, for instance, the Great American Eclipse, yeah, it, it happened on August 21st, and yes, seven years later, um, it has another eclipse that comes up basically up through New Mexico and goes up to Maine and makes a giant X that centers almost over St. Louis. Um, now the reason for that X we don't necessarily know. Um, the time frame of seven years, a lot of people are kind of wondering. Okay, is that the seven-year tribulation period, um, or is that just you know that's just uh, you know coincidence? Um, and what's the significance of X marking the spot? You know the the crazy thing is is they have found that there is a fault line that lies right in that same area where the, the X marks the spot. And this is a fault line that they didn't necessarily know um, for quite a long time. Um, and if you look at, for instance, like uh, seers, like, for instance, Edgar Casey, Edgar Cayce um, prophesied that there would be a major earthquake and the Mississippi River would split um, exactly where this X marks the spot. So when you when you take that in consideration, you can say, OK, maybe this eclipse is pointing out, you know, something happening in that area. It could be the opposite side. It could be that's where people are supposed to go. We we don't know. And you can interpret it any way that you want. But to definitively say that that is exactly what that means, we, we don't have that at this point. And the same is the case for September 23rd. Um, yes it's very interesting and very amazing to see the, the sign appear um, and to see the interpretations coming from it. But then when you take into consideration the, uh, the theory of, for instance, the rapture um, at the pre-tribulation rapture, I should clarify. Um, and most of it's based off of second Thessalonians. I think it's uh, chapter 24. And in that it specifically says that the dead will rise first And then those of us that remain will be taken up. Well, before that says at the sound of the last trump, which, you know, (laughs) I don't know exactly what the the Latin or the Greek interpretation of that is. But I just think that's very interesting that that little piece is tied into the scripture in that area as well. Well, if that is the case, that the dead rise first and then those of us that remain, it doesn't say it happens directly afterwards. It doesn't say that the dead will rise and then boom, the rest of us are taken up. could be a period of time that mixes in that. And this is where I think we're going to run into trouble because if this truly is a sign um, that is depicted in Revelation 12, it may not be what people are being taught. It may not be the rapture in the sense that they are being taught. It could be more the dead rising first. And then if you follow along scripture and you look into the actual pinpointing of when the rapture occurs or the so-called rapture occurs, th- that is for the, the remnant. That is for the ones at the end. It's not for those of us in the, in the beginning to be protected or saved or, or taken away. Um, and, and the biggest analogy that I can give is if you look at our society – And you look at the type of people that we have living just say the United States, plain general, the United States. And then you compare those same people to the Christians that were persecuted in ancient Rome, or the the beginning churches, when they first started and they had to hide in the basement, so they had to hide to get together and preach. And if anyone knew that they were a Christian, they were dead. And you look at the strength of those individuals, and then you look at the strength or I should say the, the lack of strength that we have, why on earth would God us versus them. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We are not worthy compared to that standard. And and if you take that standard right there, and he did not complete a rapture, or he did not take those people up at that time, then who are we to say that we've done better? Because if you look at what we have done from an economic scale, if you look at what we have done on a global scale with hunger, poverty, famine, you look at any of that, and we are not worthy. So then why? Why on God's clean earth would he see us as the generation to save? It doesn't make any sense to me. But scripture then tells us that he will try this generation by fire. He will, he will make them strength, make them strong by fire, by trial, which then leads more to the fact that those that are taken – those that are brought up or receive the redemption or are raptured, for lack of a better term, they are tried by fire. They're not just here saying that they are Christian, that they're doing the right thing by being Christian, or that they are um, living a godly life. No, they prove it. They show without a doubt who their alliance is with and what they've done to prove it. And I think that there's going to be a massive awakening. That, that happens when people are looking at this sign in September and believing that this sign is when the rapture occurs, and instead, it's not for the living. So I know we talked about that brief, Matthew, but uh, you know I just wanted to bring that out and see kind of what your take is on it. Well, you've
0: given me a whole lot to address there in one lump sum, so <clears throat> let me address your first issue. Clinton, I... I've been studying celestial simology since I was 12 years old. So with that in mind, um, we talk about this ex-eclipse, and you said that you mentioned Edgar Casey, which is neither here nor there with me. I look to history, and I do know that when the New Madrid went off, Tecumseh's brother did prophesy it, and exactly what Tecumseh's brother said came true now just so happens that I used to live in that area, and I was able to go and read uh, the particular plaque of this event because uh, Prophetstown State Park was relatively close to our home at the time. So I studied all this in-depthly, and so we have historical precedents for this. What bothers me even more is is that I don't care who I talk to. Nobody – mentions because nobody is qualified to mention that uh, this eclipse is not normal because flanking it to the left okay is Venus and flanking it to the right on the exact side is mercury God is literally marking this off in the heavens not only this at this very time uh everybody needs to realize that when this eclipse takes place, the foundation stone, which you know to be the Temple Mount, I I reduce it to, to its lowest common denominator. You're really talking about the foundation stone nobody's allowed to see because it's under the Dome of the Rock. Leo Minor Leo Minor will be directly over the foundation stone. Now, let's talk about why God would mark it off left and right with two planets. First off, we know why he would use Venus. Because that is the bridal star. That is a representation of his bride in the heavens. The next one you would expect to see is exactly which one it is, and that's Mercury, the messenger. When we go down on the ground, we look at these. Things really bother me because I have made a Google Earth map of this. It took me quite a long time to plot this area out. It exactly overlays with the New Madrid destruction zone that happened in the early 1800s. Now, what really bothers me is that there's major ministries on this planet, and I mean multiple ministries, Clinton. Multiple ministries have told people for well over a decade to flock to the Ozarks. I'm not going to mention names. I don't have to. Several of these very large ministries have been preaching this for a long time. And as of late, as over the past two years, one of these major alternative ministries has actually relocated to the Ozarks. That's where they broadcast from. I think they're up to broadcasting on YouTube every day now. They're also on Roku. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I can plainly see what the Lord, my God, has marked off on the ground. I can plainly see it. Now, what bothers me even... More about this is that, well, uh, when you take a look at the geographical area in question again, it absolutely amazes me the historical references to this because this is the nickname for what we should be looking for… The exact area, the exact target location has been historically known as Little Egypt. Why is that important? Why do I know that? Well, I'll tell you why I know that. I know that because of the massive disturbances that we had surrounding the freedom of slavery and Abraham Lincoln. Now, I hope that everybody realizes that I heard this... In elementary school in in the fourth grade, this is when we had a local history. This is when we did uh the histories of the states. Now I hope everybody realized that in eighteen fifty eight in the campaign of Douglas and Abraham Lincoln, this is what douglas he threatened Abraham Lincoln. Let me read a direct quote. Uh, from the uh, historical references Uh, this is from uh, Judge Andrew Duff of Egypt this article was written in 2008 taken from the archives in 1858 debating in northern Illinois Douglas had threatened Lincoln by asserting that he would trot him down to Egypt and there challenge him to repeat his anti-slavery views before a hostile crowd the audience understood Douglas' overwhelmingly pro-slavery sentiment and democratic unanimity in Egypt had led to his to this nickname so just so you all know it's not only the geography it was the massively pro-slavery sentiment ...that got this area the title Little Egypt. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this point seriously bothers me because you're supposed to know if you were studying the Bible and not books. You're not supposed to study books about prophecy. You're supposed to study the Bible, God's holy word. And if you don't know that God has declared the whole planet to be Egypt and you're a slave in it and he's going to deliver you from that... That makes me more than a little worried because your vantage point is not that foundation stone. Your vantage point is not Mount Zion. It's not. You obviously, at least at a subconscious level, worship the pyramid in Egypt. That represents this pyramid scheme of currency we've been brought under. That bothers me. So. I would not, in a course of discourse, mention Mr. Casey, and you will not hear me refer to what he said or what he did by any stretch of the imagination, by biblical terms. I would not. However, I do point this out, that the prophet, that's what they called Tecumseh's brother. I'm only calling him that because that was his name, that was his title. Um, the historical references really don't even give you his name. That's just what he was called, but that came true over this targeted area. So <clears throat> that is part A. Now, Clinton, do you want to take some time and make some comments about I wish about what I just uh, talked about? And after you're done there, comment on the second portion of uh, your diatribe? Uh, let's do it that way. Do you want me to take time so you can comment on what I just said, or you want me to go ahead and continue?
1: Well, the the only thing that that I want to say is just um, that I've heard the the travel to the Ozarks and that the um, there's a lot of Navy retired personnel that have moved to the Ozarks uh, because they were told that uh, during a pole shift that would be the ideal location to be. And I've always had a A a hard time with that because it it doesn't Necessarily make a lot of sense Um, And it just was Just eerie and just put a You know something in my soul Kind of that when I saw that the eclipse Was you know the X was almost Exactly over the Ozarks um, It's very close to that Um, And then when you throw in the New Madrid fault It it just it, It just brings The verse where if you Divide my land I will divide Yours and and that is that is I, I is eerie to me. It just it just it just makes me feel you know <laughs> makes me feel weird. Um, and so then when you when you throw this eclipse into it, um, when it comes to the Venus and the Mercury, um, kind of putting the bookends on the eclipse, I did not know that, um, and that makes it even more uh, amazing. Um, the fact that the bride is basically traveling the messenger or to the messenger. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe the other aspect of the the eclipse, the, the other side of the X, if it's laid out like that as well or not. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of end there and let you continue. Well, your
0: words provoke me to remember
1: Isaiah chapter 40.
0: Okay, because that's what this
1: is all about.
0: Uh, this is where uh, the Lord our God tells you very very pointedly. He says, let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Now, if you don't know what the context of this is, you're not going to think anything one way or the other. But when you read this whole chapter and realize that uh, this is directly uh, when God states that uh, you will be in the hollow of his hand and he's going to Uh, do other things because – now, remember, he says all this because uh, he's going to end Jerusalem's warfare. I mean, if you don't know all the context for this, you would think, yeah, let's go up to a mountain hideaway. No, God literally just said that's going to come crashing down. Now, there's really only one way he can do that, geologically speaking. And it's not good. So, if you have flocked down to the Ozark Mountains because man has told you it's a safe place, oh my goodness, you're not incorrect. No, 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 you're not incorrect. Ladies and gentlemen, you are dead wrong. You're dead wrong. The last place you want to be is on top of a mountain because God's going to make them low. That's what he said. That's not what I said. I'm just echoing what he said, everything that's detailed in Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm not going to expand upon it because if you don't know that, that's not my fault. It's not my fault that you don't know, that you didn't know, that somebody convinced you that God was lying when he spoke Isaiah chapter 40. I I don't know how to help you. I mean, if you rejected what he said, if you rejected uh, the warnings clearly dictated to you for this time, what what do you want me to say? I'm not upset. I, I mean, I don't, I don't bear you any ill will. But what can I do once you have rejected what he said? What what am I supposed to do? Where do you go with that? Anything I sh- say. If I start bringing out the Hebrew and the Greek, what God actually spoke with his mouth, it will only make you matter and matter and matter. Because why? You're, at least on a subconscious level, invested in the pyramids of Egypt. Because if you've done this thing, that means you sold your houses, you bought houses in the Ozarks, some of you even changed occupations, and I know for a fact that some of you changed locations illicitly for the purpose of joining these ministries. So, I am not angry. I'm not going to debate with you about what God said. I know what He said. In both Hebrew and Greek, it's obviously you that do not know what He said, nor did you care it was rejected. So, with that in mind, let me address Clinton's other portion. Now, before I do that, I want Clinton to come in here and describe the conversation we had the other day so that you can get a feel of what he brings forth a theory and the bad thing about it was was as he spoke it, I don't think in English ladies and gentlemen, I think in Hebrew and Greek and as he was saying it I already knew exactly where to look. I knew exactly what to look for. So, Clinton, why don't you come on here and talk about that day and my reaction. Did I get mad at you? Was I angry? Um, did I immediately reject it? What happened that day?
1: Well, you know, the conversation uh, was kind of spontaneous, and it was it was just fun to just talk. And we were just uh, um, kind of talking about, you know, the sign that's appearing and, and what that may mean. Um, and kind of the different theories that we're, we're going about. And, um, you know, we, we brought up the, the theory that the sign in, on Revelation 12 was the marker for the rapture. Um, and, and unfortunately, there's a lot of teachers out there that are teaching exactly this. Um, and from my studies, and, and anyone that ever wants to look into my theories or, you know, look into um, the interpretation of Scripture that I have done – um, you can easily find my book um, and just Google my name and you can find it. But, but in there, it does um, describe the, the verse in 2 Thessalonians, um, chapter 24. And in that uh, verse, it plainly says that the dead will rise first. Um, and a lot of people, what, what I've always been told growing up is that the dead rising first and then those of us caught up afterwards happens at the same exact time. And and the teaching that I've always been told is that we'll all be caught up in the sky. We'll uh, be there with uh, Jesus uh, ready for the battle of Armageddon. And then we'll all come down and we'll fight next to him. And that's how I've always been taught. Um, That's not necessarily how I believe, but that's what the church is taught. Um, But then when you look at second Thessalonians, it plainly says that the dead shall rise first and then those of us who remain will be caught up. It doesn't say it's simultaneous. It says that they are um, different, that they are separated, actually. Um, If you ever, especially prophecy, it's always this happens and then this happens. And so it, it depicts events in chronological order or events that happen one after another. And it doesn't necessarily give a time frame between that, and that's where prophecy makes it the most difficult, is knowing what time things happen. Um, And so, unfortunately, the teaching is that they happen simultaneously, but Scripture says that it would happen different. So if that is actually the case, and the dead rise first, what does that mean? You know, I mean, you can, you can look at the zombie apocalypse and all the theories going on about that where the dead rise first and they're zombies, you know, but that doesn't, that, that's not the grace of God. That's not how God would do things. That's not how he explained to his church that he would do things. But if the dead are taken up into heaven or taken up into the air, will we see that? Will we truly see these spirits, these souls, Uh, Rising into heaven There's a strong possibility of this That if this sign happens That it's not necessarily the sign That we will be raptured It's the sign that the dead Will be risen So for those that think that this is going to be The rapture If this happens We're standing there Waiting on this day to be raptured away And all of a sudden we see All these spirits around us rising And we're still here we're not taken, as mainstream says. We are left behind, but all of us are left behind. What's that going to do for the faith of those out there that think that they deserve to be taken away, that they deserve to be removed from this earth? What's that going to do their faith? And does that bring out the scoffers who ask, "Well, where's your God?" Well if Christians are teaching saying that this is the sign that we're going to be raptured in a month and then the dead rise and everyone sees the dead and you're still there, what do you think the scoffers are going to say? They're going to ask, where's your God? So that fits. When Matthew and I were talking about this, you know, it, it was kind of kind of eerie um, because it makes sense. Matthew knew that there was a place to look but he was also like, this is not what, what what I have been taught. This is not what I thought. Let me look into it. You know, he, you, you're, we're all instructed that whatever we're taught, whatever theory, whatever um, analysis is brought to us, that we use Scripture to determine if it's real, if it's true, if it's just. And if it's real and true and just, then, th- yeah, that, there's a possibility. That is the truth. And so when Matthew and I talked about this, His first reference was to make sure scripturally that it fit, that it was real, that it was true, that it wasn't just a theory out there. And, you know, since then, you know, Matthew and I have have talked briefly um, about what he may have found. Matthew, I'll kind of hand it over to you for that.
0: All right, Clinton, let, let me tell you what first struck me. It rang out in my ears what you just said. It screamed out to me when you said they didn't want to be here, and literally, what they're saying is is they didn't want to be a part of the deliverance. Oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, you have no idea what you're saying. You you don't know, and let me let me say this, one hundred percent of the time you're commanded to t- teach your children and each other this, to remember the wonders he performed in Egypt in delivering you. It's literally all over, all over the Bible. You obviously do not not remember Exodus 6-9. So Moses spake to this, the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. It didn't stop. Exodus chapter 14, verse 12. Is this not the word that they spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Is that the last time it was said? Do you even remember what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen? If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's what makes me worried. Two chapters later, in verse 3, the sons of Israel said to him, and I'm going to add this, He, they said it to him again. Let me start the verse over. The sons of Israel said to him, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out to this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. And I out to myself, I know where to look. You see, I'm not like you, ladies and gentlemen. I was never taught that eschatology was either A, historical, or B, futuristic. I was never taught that lie. And I'm sorry you were lied to. But the Lord your God, with his own mouth, states that he chases after that which has been. He literally comes right out and tells you, That eschatology is isochronal. Go to Matthew chapter 27 and see what God did before. That's what we can do. Well, let me predicate it with this. Let's start out where it all started. Okay? Let's let's do that. What are we referencing to? The first thing that came to my mind was this, starting in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. That is a really good to say that he just did your pole shift. But it's not a pole shift. It's a pole migration. What happens next? The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now... The centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Let me stop there. This is completely and absolutely agreeing with the sixth seal event and Isaiah chapter 24 when all of a sudden everybody says, oh no. Somehow the whole planet is miraculously given the information that, oh no, now we have to deal with God. Let me keep reading. Many women were looking on from a distance, Jesus from Galilee, while ministering to Him. Ladies and gentlemen, you would by no stretch of the imagination call these five foolish virgins, would you? Verse 56. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Ah, yes, the sons of thunder. You realize this very woman asked Jesus for something that Jesus said, you don't understand what you're asking. Would it that one of your sons be at my right and at my left? Let me continue. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the mother and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I've screamed out to you at the top of my lungs that if you do have wealth right now, I have repeatedly told you and begged with you to spend your money to buy property. Now you know why I've told you that over and over and over and over and over. Why hasn't your eschatology teachers since the time you were in elementary school, taught you about why Joseph of Arimathea done this thing. But once again, I'm not upset with you, and I bear you no ill will at all. Now the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we've remembered. That when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, Now listen very carefully. Ladies and gentlemen, listen right here really, really carefully. He has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first oh ladies and gentlemen don't you realize they are prophetically speaking about the great deception don't you realize this is prophetically encoded as to why they will hand you over to the magistrates I mean surely you know about Matthew 24 now you have everything in context as to why God would do exactly what Clinton's theory which I call The dead rise first theory, credence. Now we have an event horizon, don't we? Now everything's playing right where it should be. These Christians will actually be furious that God has brought down their pyramid. So, what about now? And I have screamed to the top of my lungs since I was a teenager... When people tell you that they see Jesus, no, they haven't. No, they won't. They can't. I know where he is. I know, importantly, I know what he looks like. Now, could people be seeing exactly what John's seen because they're seeing the angel that Jesus sent to John? Because whether you've rejected it or not, that's irrelevant. John never went anywhere. He stayed in the prison cell, and Jesus himself said that he sent his angel to give John this vision. So I do believe that. But do I believe that people actually meet and talk with Jesus? No. I know where he's at. I know where he's been the whole time. I know what he's doing. Here, let me explain it to you. And I saw on the right hand of him who set upon the throne. Everybody starting to remember now. A book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in the earth, nor under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not behold, right here you're going to see him, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And behold, lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood the lamb as if it had been slain. That's where he's at right now, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth to all the earth. I sat there and I think about it. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, don't you realize what was just said? So let me get this right. According to Clinton's theory... Don't you realize that now you know the course of events as to when God gets up off his throne and comes and kicks us off our axis, the sixth seal. I'll read it to you. And I beheld, and we had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken by a mighty wind. Ah, yes, that she, I think that's the she he's pointing out, September 23rd, but anyway. And the heaven departed as scroll when it's rolled together. Oh, my goodness, is this why he wanted you to see the rolling apart of the sky as a scroll? Because, let, let, let me continue. And every mountain, that's including the Ozarks, by the way. And island, that includes sand Kits where all these other really rich ministries will pay $200,000 to receive citizenship, were moved out of their places. And now, just like I said, Isaiah chapter 24, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bond and every free man hid themselves in dens and rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, follow us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne. And from the bath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Don't you realize we've just been given the course of events? God the Father hands that scroll to Jesus. He gets up, and Jesus begins to crack those seals. Ladies and gentlemen, you see, when God gets back, when he impacts the earth, is this when the fifth seal takes place? I thought my whole life, no, those people have been martyred. They're already at the altar in heaven. But that's not what happened with Jesus. Is what happened, temporally speaking, chronologically speaking. God hands Christ the seventh seal scroll. He gets up. He impacts with Mount Paran, just like he said he was going to, kick us off our axes. When he does that... When God the Father comes back down to earth, that's kind of like, of course, Christ dying. That's exactly what it's described when Christ died. There was a great earthquake. There was darkness for how long? Three hours. So listen to this. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls that had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Dost thou not judge the bench our of blood on them that dwelleth on the earth? When white robes were given them to every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest a little season, until the fellow students also, and their brethren, that should be killed even as they were, should be fulfilled. Ladies and gentlemen, I had always thought that when you're martyred for Christ, you immediately go to the altar in heaven. That's that's what I've spoken the whole time. So you can imagine is, Clinton is, this is coming out of his mouth. All of these things that I just shared to you, rapid fire into my mind, and in under 120 seconds, my next phrase to Clinton was, I was like, and I was sick to my stomach when I told Clinton this, and he didn't even know it. Quote me on this, but I think we can find supporting evidence for this. When he had no idea that I had already, it had come into my mind like a flood. It had come into my mind like a flood. What if this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen? Um, what if all the martyr Assyrian Christians that have been martyred by ISIS? Oh my goodness, that just pinches my just pinches my gut. How many Iraqi Christians have been murdered since the 3rd Infantata? How many Egyptian Christians? Of course, we call them a bad name. We call them names. We call them Coptics. So we don't have to pray for them because they're Coptics, remember? What if this group has not gone to the altar yet? What if there is a season of time? Oh my gosh, why, why did the Lord my God say that? in Revelation chapter 6 verse 11 why did he say rest a little season is there some machination that occurs that those that are that have been martyred they get to stay a little while in paradise and periodically they are oh my goodness that makes so much sense to the high holy feast days I just everything's flooding in my mind right now but now we're Now we're actually doing this episode, and it's too late for me to contemplate this later. That would make so much sense. But ladies and gentlemen, when I take a look at this, I want to take a look at what Delitz had to say about these things. Now please take note, there is no consternation. The Delitz New Testament was witnessed by Arnold Arnold Ulrich, okay, and not only him, Gustav Dolman. Now, I hope all of you realize that – what that means exactly, because the University of Gustwald, he's the one that started it in Germany. Okay, so I I hope you realize what type of witnesses uh, was brought forth to ratify that Delitzsch in fact did correctly translate. ...the New Testament into what God wanted. I'm not even going to debate with you there. I mean, if you have more credentials... ...than the two witnesses... go ...by all means... ...contact me, because you don't. You're a pathetic excuse... ...for a Hebraic scholar... ...compared to either Ulrich... ...or Dahlman. But no one on this planet... ...would say you have more credibility... ...nor a credibility. I mean... i, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen... When you provide me with a scholar that a university has been established solely on his documentation, I mean literally literally his collection of 15,000 historic photographs and 5,000 books, J- just, just don't try it. You'll only upset me trying to discredit Dolman. I wanted to see what Dolman had seen there with the fifth seal. I wanted to see it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there it is, staring you in the face. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal. Now, I looked at this word in Hebrew, and I'm like, well, yeah, that that certainly does mean open, but it's predicated rather strangely. It's predicated with a valve and a cough. And I thought to myself, where is that at? Where's, where is it spelt this way, the exact way? I had to actually check myself. I couldn't couldn't place it. This word is used twice in the verse I'm going to read you, but when I read it to you, you're, it's going to scream out to you what I read you out of Matthew 27. It's going to scream out to you, ladies and gentlemen, because it, it has to. There's no way around it. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people Let me just say this. Why did God put that in parentheses there? Was he referring to these being the elders that was there gathered around the throne? I don't know. But anyway, here it is in this instance. It's the second time this word is used in this verse. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, ladies and gentlemen... Let me read to you this verse again, okay? Matthew T seven verse fifty two. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself What in the name of the Lord have I missed? Why was it right here in front of me? And i never seen it. Why is it, once again, when you, and I know all about this word, it's just like uh, the word from Revelation 12 uh, verse 5, when they talked that that word is the rapture. Same thing here. This is not the word they're saying is. It does mean open up, but it's predicated. This time, it does not start with an alpha. This it's not, onego. I know what it is in Greek. Right now I'm sitting here looking at it. That's not onego. That's no Every moment we close to that spelling, and I just look at it and I look at it and I look at it, and I think to myself, what was Dalman thinking? What was, what was being whispered in Delich's ear? What was it? What did. What on earth was Ulrich thinking? He knew, he knew that the only way to translate this Greek word to use the exact shape and form that was in Nehemiah 8 5 the second time. And I just, it just blows me away when I think about that word spelt that way. That case and form, because this is the eris active in Greek. It's in the third singular case. Well, where did God say that before? Where did God say that before? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The ramifications of all of this is just absolutely blown away because this word in this case and form is used three times, ladies and gentlemen, in John chapter 9. Directly about the Jews When they questioned Jesus About Him making the blind man Receive sight again I'll, I'll read this exact case in form In the English for you We'll do the KJV <coughs> Chapter 9 verse 17 They said unto the blind man again What sayest thou of him That he hath opened
1: thine eyes
0: He said He is a prophet Verse 26 Then they said to him again, What did he to thee? Opened he thine eyes? Verse 32. Since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. I'm not going to go over the other 13 times this is in the scripture. Of course, I already pointed out to you one, so the other 12 times. I'll say this, you know, talking about that angel that delivered that message from Christ to John on Patmos. Makes me think of this verse. I'm not going to tell you where it's at. It's just probably a little bit too much more than you can handle at present moment if you've never even looked at the Hebrew and the Greek. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said... Clinton, your thoughts and comments while I collect and gather mine own. Well, you know, I mean,
1: as you as you look into this, I mean, it's it's hard to to remove the prior teachings um, and try to stay true to what what the scripture truly says, and because there's so many different interpretations out there, there's so many different views on it, and everyone says that they're right. Now, I always go back to, you know, the, this, the theory of Sheol, you know, the, that uh, when Jesus died, he went to Sheol, went to hell, um, and got the keys uh, of hell. Um, well, I've also heard, you know, that he um, took some souls with him, um, that he removed uh, them from Sheol. Um, now, from that point, that you get two different points. One is before Jesus' death, um, the souls were transported to Sheol. And two, there was good people in Sheol um, that were taken up with Jesus. So those two things fit. Everyone would go into Sheol prior to Jesus' death. Now, the crazy thing is, is from that point, it talks about how the dead shall sleep. Well, if you're taken to Sheol, you no longer sleep. You're 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 in Sheol, you're obviously conscious because Jesus was conscious to accomplish what he did and he was conscious to grab the other souls, but those other souls sleep. So if we have from Jesus' death people sleeping when they die, they don't necessarily descend into Sheol. They don't necessarily descend into hell. They they are asleep. And then they are caught up later. And And this is where you have a lot of different teachings because you have the thoughts that everyone goes to hell. You have the thought that there's purgatory. You have the thought that automatically you were judged. And, but that doesn't necessarily fit that when you look through revelations and you look at the gifts that are given to the different churches, it, it seems like the longer you last, the greater the gift is given. Now, some people interpret the, the letters to the church. I've always seen it as, um, as a timeline either for the evolution of the church, which is what I've always stood for for a long, long time, is this period of time to this period of time, this is the characteristic of the church, this period of time, this period of time, this is the characteristic of the church. Since then, it, it seems like that that has maybe changed, and this only recently changed here in the last month. Um, but if you look at it and you focus on the gifts that are given to those churches, they escalate. I mean, the first two churches, they gain entrance into heaven. And that's pretty much their gift. That is what they get. That's their reward. You made it past this period of time, you gain entrance. From that point, though, there's a church that is made a pillar. There is a church that sits alongside the throne with Jesus and rules. Well, Jesus, we know during his reign, he also judges. So do those pillars, those people within the church, Do they judge alongside Jesus? And if that is the case, and they do, then the judgment has not come for those martyrs that have passed before. That does not fit for anyone that has died before, because their judgment has not come, because those that are pillars in the church, they judge with him. Now, when you take that in consideration with the dead rising first, well, that's an indication that that's when it begins. And that also gives an indication that's when your time frame begins, because every change. every everyone would get to their feet if there was a massive earthquake. Einstein had a theory, and, and many people have probably heard of Pangaea. Pangaea was where every single continent was one continent back in the day, you know, maybe during dinosaurs' times or whenever you want to say the time was. But Einstein's theory was that we were had one continent. And over a period of time, that continent was spread and spread and spread to the point that it would retract very rapidly, which means all the continents would come back to one continent in a very short period of time. Now, Scripture talks about the sky being rolled up like a scroll. Well, it's not necessarily the sky moving. That is, the earth moving. Because if the continents of the earth or... As some people say, a pole shift happens, or uh, the earth is knocked off its axis, or, you know, there's a, d- a bunch of different ways it could happen. But movement on the earth would cause the scroll sky to be a scroll and to roll up. Now, when you're looking at the prophecy, do you see it as this scroll is one event, that the sky rolls up as one event, or is it multiple events? If it's one event, then you take all of the references that have that scroll and put them on top of each other, and there's your events. They happen simultaneously. Same with the massive earthquake. Either there's three earthquakes or there's one. If there's one, then stack all of those events on top of each other, and there's your timeline. If there's three, then maybe it could be chronological or linear. But it makes you kind of wonder, because if this earthquake happens or an event happens to where without a doubt everyone knows, that God is mad. Everyone knows that we are going to face his wrath. Everyone knows because it says that they hide themselves. They, they, they don't turn on the TV and, and watch Roseanne or, or watch The Apprentice or whatever other thing you want to watch. No, they're fixated on this. Everyone knows. So there has to be an event where everyone sees it. Everyone witnesses it. It makes everyone get on their feet. What is that event? Now, we're we're looking at an earthquake on a massive scale. That would cause it. It would cause all the mountains to fall, all the islands to be wiped off, all the ships in the ocean to be destroyed. It would damage our water sources. It would damage life on this earth to a scale that we've never seen. That is prophesied. That is prophesied. That is, that is, talked about with the dead rising first. It's always been taught that they'll be caught up in the sky. The depiction has always been shown by people that teach the rapture that everyone would see it. Then a twinkling of an eye, they'd be gone. But when you look at the depictions, it, there's always people in the sky that everyone looks up and sees it, or there's close in next to them. Well, what if, what if they're wrong? What if they've looked at scripture And never, when you walk into a church nowadays, a typical scripture encompasses hmm, three to four verses. That's all. You can easily take things out of context in three to four verses. You can easily interpret it, whatever you want. I remember reading a book, and I won't say who the the author is, but it was about angels. And and in the the book, the same verse was referenced four different times in four different ways to prove four different points. Th- that's not interpreting Scripture on a biblical, on a godly level. That's interpreting Scripture to in, to sell a book, to, to show what you want to say. If you take things out of context and you don't look at the verses before or the verses after, you're going to be misled. And that's why it's so important that not only when verses quoted to you, that you look at all the verses around it. Because a lot of times, tells the truth. The scripture is told that it defined itself. So you use scripture to define itself. If you want to know what something means, it already tells you what it means. You just have to be willing to look for it and you have to be willing to acknowledge that maybe what you have been taught is not right. Is not true. Is not from God. Is that your fault? No. That's not your fault in any way. That's the church's fault. That is those From the beginning of the church who hid the Bible from everyone, who made it a crime to read it, who only said that people that were qualified could interpret it. That is their fault. That is the fault of the people standing at the pulpit right now that refuse to tell you the truth. People, the ministers have said this because they're afraid that if they tell the truth, people will stop showing up, that people stop paying tithes. And then there goes their paycheck. It's also been documented that certain things cannot be said because it doesn't fit within the church doctrine. You, some jobs with Christian organizations, you cannot receive the job unless you renounce your beliefs and you accept theirs. It's not about interpreting it on, a, on what God wants it to be interpreted at this point. It's about interpreting it on how the organization or the man wants to interpret it. And that's wrong. And we are told to watch out for this. We are told to make sure that we are not deceived, that we search for the truth, that we look for the truth, and that we use scripture to define the truth. If you're not doing that, you're going to be misled. That's proven in history. You will be misled unless you study yourself. If you depend on someone else to tell you, you're going to be misled. You need to look it up for yourself and determine that what is being said is true. When you look into the teachings about timing in prophecy, the teachings about when we are taking, when we are harvested, the best one I can always go back to is the parable where Jesus explains that the good farmer... You know, he planted good seed because he wanted a good harvest. And the workers went out and they tended to the seeds. While they were out there, they saw that weeds were growing alongside the good seed. They directly came back to the master and they said, we see that you planted good seed, but there's weeds mixed in with the good seed. Do you want us to destroy the weeds? And the master explained, no. They must grow side by side because if you destroy the weeds now, you destroy the good with it, and you cannot do that. So you must let them grow side by side because the evil one came in at night and planted those seeds. But at the time of harvest, those weeds will be gathered first, and they will be burned first, and then the good fruit, their harvest, will be harvested. That's straight from Jesus. If that's not a depiction of exactly how things will be done, I don't know what is. We are being taught that the good harvest happens, and then the weeds are burned. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that the weeds shall be burned first, and then the harvest shall come. That doesn't say that we will be raptured And that God's wrath will come upon everyone. God says that that we will be protected from his wrath. That doesn't say anything about Satan's wrath. That just says his wrath. And his protection all through scripture wasn't that he removed people mysteriously or supernaturally. No, he put an anointing on them. He protected them by giving them food in the desert. He protected them by giving them a path to follow. He protected them by performing miracles. He did not just gather them into the sky and then move them. He's never done that. Why would he start with this generation when he had the opportunity to do it for many who are more worthy than us? He's not going to. Jesus told us exactly what he's going to do. He has said that he would not destroy the earth by water, but this time he would do it by fire. That's what is coming. And it's, most likely going to be rapid fire. When things happen, it's going to happen, and there will be no doubt that it's happening. Everyone shall know. But their hearts will be hardened. Their pride will be too high. They won't want to repent because they don't want to be proven wrong. They don't want to be shown that what they have believed, what they have been taught, what they held so true, was wrong. That's what Scripture says. How else... Can a sign or an event happen to where everyone knows, but everyone doesn't repent right away? I mean, if you saw without a doubt that God was mad and He was coming for us, I personally would drop on my knees and beg for forgiveness. But these people don't. Why don't they want to be proven wrong? They don't want to acknowledge that they don't know everything, that they don't have a direct insight into God, that they don't understand the hidden intricacies. We're not meant to understand every intricacy. God does leave breadcrumbs, and he does point the way, and he does want us to understand so we are not deceived. But that takes work. It takes a lot of work because he wants to know that you're diligent and that you deserve to know. Now, we're, we're trying to tell everyone what we see, what we understand, what we can show, Scripture has defined. The thing is, you don't have to say we're right or wrong. We'll know. Because Scripture says we will know. And if we are in the prophetic time that we, and a lot of other people believe that we're in, we will know. So either get prepared for the long haul, so that you can get the rewards that God has promised us for our hard work, or you can continue hoping and that you can, you know, escape all this horrible time, a time like no other on earth, a time that has never been and never will be. You, you will escape that because you're special. You deserve it. You've done such wonderful things. You're amazing. you are You're so great. And, you know, you can continue thinking that even though scriptures told us we're wretched and we're poor and we believe they're rich, but we're not. <laughs> so you can have that conversation with the man upstairs and tell him how special you are, how good you are, all the things you have done. And he'll look at you and say, I, know, I don't know you. Go away from me because you were not right, because you did not take the time to understand that this isn't about us. We are not special. There's no reason to say that we have any weight greater than those that have come before us. Scripture actually says the opposite. So it's not about us. And there's a reason that judgment comes at a certain time because that generation is wicked. So it's not about us. It's about the accumulation of the harvest that It has grown to fruition and now the weeds to be removed so that the harvest can be completed. I think I spoke a lot, Matthew, and I'll hand it back over to you.
0: Well, you're saying that their acting and their thoughts and their minds is just like the Pharisees was concerning Jesus' body. And I am forced, I mean... I am forced with every word that come out of your mouth. Remember, will come out of his mouth in Isaiah chapter forty. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, behold, the Lord will come with his might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. I'm telling you, same time, next verse. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arm, gather the lambs and carry them to his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Next verse. Who has measured the waters, ah yes, in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens by span, and calculated the dust of the earth by measure? and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales. Ladies and gentlemen, you're clearly told you're going to be gathered from one end of the heavens to the other. Don't you realize that's what he just said? So, as the recompense is going on before him, he just told you, don't worry about it, you're going to be in the hollow of my hand. We know what he does here. That's what Revelation chapter 12 is about. When we're gathered to the tabernacle of David... To a place that's been prepared for us. Textion, what's happening this year? Rosh Hashanah is over on the 22nd. That means the 10 days start the next day. What is that, ladies, and gentlemen? Let's. What do the Jews believe? Do you even know? Do you even know? Okay, let me make. Let me read this to you. Jews have been teaching from the beginning, and I'm not talking about the rabbis, just the people that sat in the pews, alright, they've been taught that Rosh Hashanah, it states that the three books are opened on Rosh Hashanah, wherein the fate of the wicked, the righteous, and those of the intermediate class are recorded. The names of the righteous are immediately inscribed in the book of life, and they are sealed to live. Hence, the fifth seal in Revelation. Now, The intermediate class are allowed respite for ten days until Yom Kippur to reflect, repent, and become righteous. The wicked are blotted out of the book of living forever. Delich and Ulrich both knew about these ten days. And they knew exactly what Christ was referencing when he spoke in Revelation chapter 2, Verse 10, and now that I think about that chain of events, that's why they translated all those verses that way from the Greek. They had been taught this since they were children. So, the day after Rosh Hashanah, ladies and gentlemen, is this sign, these Pharisees, which... Like I, Now, I read to you what the Pharisees said concerning Jesus' body. If we don't, the latter deception will be greater than the former. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, these are the ones telling you that the sign, the alignment that occurs the day after, which would be day number one of the ten days, is the wondrous size of, sign of Revelation 12? That's antichrist, actually. That would be antichrist to say that, now that I weigh it and consider it with my own mind. I think about some of the things that Clinton said. You all know that I've clearly defined for you what's going to happen on that day, but one thing I didn't ever consider. What if God, as he expands this planet, because he makes it... Technologically clear that we're going to go to a royal measure, which is one seventh of our diameter, ladies and gentlemen. The diameter of this planet is going to increase by one seventh. And if it didn't, we of course would explode due to the massive injection of the power of his presence. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand that on the great day of Hugh who sitteth up upon the throne, when he impacts, the second he impacts was Mount Paran. You need to understand that the furnace that is the core of this earth will be increased in temperature one seventh. If we don't expand, that's why I've told very plainly you can look at the antipode out there in the Pacific Ocean and plainly see right where that is. There's all type of deep-sea trenches that it can pull apart as we expand. I never considered this. Was what God was saying with all the mountains will flee from their place, is he talking about we're going to go back to a panangea type of place? I don't know. Once again, I find myself to be lacking. Why did I never put two and two together? Because you understand that the atmosphere immediately would, would have to stretch would have to become very thin. Its altitude above us, by default, would have to do what? That's right, become one-seventh thinner. Its maximum upper altitude would be reduced by one-seventh altitude. Don't you realize that that event would, stretching the ozone that thin, you could see through it. You wouldn't see blue skies anymore, ladies and gentlemen, would you? So with all that in mind... I don't know what to make of this discourse that Clinton and I have undertaken today. I don't know what to make of it. Am I making any judgments concerning the scriptures we covered? No, I'm not. This is all new to me. But I do know one thing. If you think that an eclipse is a good portent, you're grossly mistaken. 100% time in history no matter where you went an eclipse was always a harbinger of doom not the other way around not 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 ever clinton i i think i've spoken my piece i don't know what else to say and i don't know what else i could say i mean like i said i i don't know what to make of it i don't know all i know is that this thought had never entered my mind until you said that to me on the phone just a few days ago. That is the event horizon for this thought process. So, what's your closing comments on this matter? If you would like to talk about other things, we can. But, uh, your thoughts for a minute there, Clinton?
1: You know, I mean, I've always, um, I've always subscribed to the the thought that would write first. And, and, part of the reason for that is, it never made sense to me why God would remove all of the good from the earth in the time when it's needed the most. That that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, and, and yeah, people can say, well, there's 144,000 and they're supposed to, you know, do everything. Well, yeah, but that it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean. Why, why would he do that? It, it just it, it boggles my mind, and that's one reason that I never prescribe to the pre-tribulation rapture theory, um, is because it, it goes against the principles of what God has done in the past. He he never did this. I mean, even if you look at the apostles, they they all died, and and many of them gruesome deaths for what they did and all they did was preach the gospel martyrs all through time died because they preached the gospel. Why would he leave everyone to their own devices and just give up on everyone? It it never made sense to me. And, and I was always like, you know, if that's the case, no, I don't want to go stay here. I want to help. And that should be the mindset of people is they should want to help. If God doesn't want any of us to die or any of us to suffer or any of us to go to hell, we need to have that same mindset. It's not about my salvation. It's not about making sure that all the people I love are healed or saved. It's about making sure everyone is because none of us want that fate. All of us want to go to the promised land. All of us. But we have to have the strength for everyone. And that means looking at the signs. Straight in the face. And realizing what they are. The signs to tell us what time it is. Not so that way we are saved. But so all of us are saved. Those before and those now. And if you are only caring about your salvation or your immediate family salvation, you're doing it wrong. Plain and simple, you're doing it wrong. And you may find out very quickly you're doing it wrong. Because this world caters to those who do it wrong. You know, this teaching of prosperity that is going in the churches. I saw a study that said that Christians are more likely to say the reason someone is in poverty is for their own actions, then other subgroups, why is that? Because she, because of the teaching of prosperity. That, oh, well, if you worship God and you give to the church, you will be rewarded and you will get money. You'll get prosperity. That's exactly why all the saints, all the people in the past, all were so wealthy. You know, I mean, they, they just had mansions everywhere. You know, they, the houses made of gold. You know, that, that's a, definitely a sign of all the prophets. <laughs> and if you believe that, you need to open the scripture and look. That's not the sign of the prophets. That's not the sign of people have, who have done their job. All, all of them, yeah, some of them were in statuses of kings. Some of them were status of, of high-ranking officials, but not all of them. So if the teaching of prosperity was real, all of them would be. That's not the case. Jesus, he would have been incredibly wealthy. As if anyone deserves it based off of their marks, it's him. But scripture never tells you about what he owned. Never. Our society is based off of what you own, how many dollars you have in your bank account. And until you realize it's all a mirage, that it's all made up, you're going to continue to live in that life. But once you believe and you understand it's all made up, and that you're a speck, in the grand scheme of things, then you'll start to realize the teaching of prosperity is wrong. That it's not about our glory on this earth. Scripture actually tells us that we will be persecuted for his sake. Not that we're going to get a mansion for his sake. The complete opposite. So if that teaching is wrong, what else are they teaching from the pulpit that's wrong? What else are they saying to the masses that's wrong? Well, supposed to use the scripture as your guide. This time is more important than any other time to hold true to the scripture and to look and see if what it's being taught to you, what's being told to you is true because the majority of it's not. The majority of it is telling you what you want to hear. It's a salesman, you know, come in, have some songs, feel good, go home and do the same thing you've always been doing. Don't change anything. Just make sure you pay your tithes. No. You know, that, that, that game has been played before. There's a reason why, you know, the, the Catholic Church has so much money. And if you, you know, look in history, everyone knows that's what happened during the Dark Ages, because you could pay for your salvation. That's not what Scripture says. That's not what we should be striving to do. We cannot gain entrance by our works alone. So it doesn't matter what you try to do monetarily, how many possessions you try to gather. You can't take it with you. And if Christ said it's more difficult for a rich man to go for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich man enter heaven, where does that place the richest country that the world has ever seen? It doesn't put us in godly land in retrospect, it puts us in the opposite. If that was the case, the people in the Middle East are being persecuted. The people in Africa are being persecuted. Those are the ones gaining entrance right now, not us. So yeah, with everything that we talk about, you can hold on to your possessions as long as you want. You can try to say that what you have is important as long as you want. It's not going to do you any good. And if these signs, clips, and the Revelation 12 signs are in fact those signs, then we will all find out very, very quickly what that means. And if you have not been studying, if you have not been watching the signs, if you have not been preparing for this, it will come like a thief in the night against you. Because you will have no idea that any of this is happening until it happens. And then when it happens, it's too late. You won't have a margin for error. You won't have the ability to say, oops, I made a mistake. You will have one path, one path only to get to the end. And your goal should be to get to the end. I I remember when I first started talking to people, and and uh, explaining that, you know, the pre-tribulation rapture is just a theory and uh, that all this craziness was going to happen prior. And the response that I got more times than not was, well, I hope I die right away. I hope that, that I'm gone, you know, that I get killed in the first wave. If you don't try to do his work at the time that he bore you to do his work, what good are you? What good are you going to do? No. The game is to survive as long as you can, to make it as far as you can, to do as much work as you can, because that's what we are born to do. If you think you were born in this time, had a coincidence, think again. God had this planned out a long time ago. He said that numerous times through Scripture. He knew you before you were born, which means he placed you in this time for a reason. But that reason, you and him have to talk about. But if you don't do what he called you to do, that's on your head, not his. He's given you all the clues. He's given you all the skills. Everything is there. The question is, do you remember? Do you remember how to use the power of God? Do you remember how to tell the truth? Do you remember how to discern? Do you remember how to prophesy? Well, Scripture says that his spirit will flow out. And young men will dream dreams. Or exactly how it goes, Matthew. You'll probably get that one right for me. But the point of it is, his spirit will flow out. Men and women will prophesy. Men and women will do his work. That's what we're here for. So I guess the, the big question is, do you continue searching for what this world gives you? Or do you continue searching for what this world does not give you. I'll leave you guys with that thought.
0: Let me state this. Does anybody know when Rosh Hashanah is this year? Of course you don't, because they changed it on you, you see. Since the second temple of Jerusalem, the Jews have changed the rules. They state that um, they come up with this since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD that They don't want it to be on Sunday, Wednesday, or Friday. That's why when you look at the Jewish calendar, it gives you two Rosh Hashanah days this year. Now, let's talk about what's supposed to happen that day, ladies and gentlemen. This is what all the Jews believe, okay? I tried to say that before. All the Jews, and they're just like most Christians, they never read the Bible. They don't actually read it. They they have the rabbi do it for them. They all believe that three things happen on Rosh Hashanah. They say this is what God says. On Rosh Hashanah, you're supposed to recite before God verses of sovereignty, remembrance, and trumpet blast. Sovereignty, so that you should make God your king. Remembrance, so that your remembrance should rise up before God. And through what? Through the trumpet blast. This is reflected in the prayers composed by the classical rabbis for Rosh Hashanah, wherein the theme of the prayers, the strongest theme, is the coronation of God as king of the universe in preparation for the acceptance of judgment that will follow on that day, symbolize what is written into the divine books of judgment that then hang in the balance for ten days waiting for all to repent, then they will be sealed on Yom Kippur. The assumption is that everyone who is sealed for life, and therefore the next festival is Sukkot, which you call tabernacles, is referred to as a time of joy. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why God told you you were going to be gathered to a place that had been prepared for you by God, and that place is the tabernacle of David. That's what he himself said. So it blows me away that when these things happen, the godly Jews, well, they'll know exactly what's going on. What about you? Will you know what's going on? I mean, do you not know everything that Clinton reminded you that Christ said? You don't know any of that stuff, or did you just reject it? I don't know. That's not for me to decide. That's for him who sitteth upon the throne to decide, and he will. And when he does... Stated that we shall be in the hollow of his hand and his recompense will go before him. That's what he said. So with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, God bless. Godspeed.